Hey friend, this is Ryan Thomas. We're so blessed and grateful you're listening to On the Road and supporting Faith Radio. You are quite simply the best and we appreciate you so much. Enjoy the show. Discovering stories of courage, determination, and hope. Welcome to Faith Radio's On the Road. Now, here's Ryan Thomas. Well, any list of the most popular movies in America over the last decades will show us just how much we love to hear stories of those with superhuman powers. And our scientists have for so long worked to defeat the realities of growing old. But we now live in a day of scientific and technological wonders we could never have imagined even just short years ago. So where is this taking us? Should we be excited, concerned, or somewhere in between as followers of Jesus? Well, it just so happens our friend Dr. Fazel Rana has literally written the book on it with his co-author Kenneth Samples. It's called Humans 2.0, Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Perspectives on Transhumanism. And Dr. Rana, who kindly allows us to call him Fuzz, from Reasons to Believe, the great organization of faith-based thought leaders out of Los Angeles, goes on the road today. The very warmest of welcomes to you, sir. How are things going today? Oh, it's going great. I can't complain. Life is good. Well, we're undoubtedly guilty of overusing the phrase a gentleman and a scholar on this program, sir, Uh, but we're featuring the real thing today. It really is a joy to have you and your brain on the airwaves today. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a, a pleasure to be with you. Well, let's jump in here to just a fascinating topic. I mean, we love to entertain ourselves with tales of those with superhuman powers and so much effort has been made in scientific history to try to defy the passage of time. But new technology is making things possible that we never imagined in these days. And the word that you talk so much about, sir, is transhumanism. Just what is wrapped up in that term? Transhumanism is, in a nutshell, this idea of using advances in technology to overcome our limitations as human beings, uh, to enhance our abilities uh, as human beings, again, using technology with the idea of uh, making human beings stronger and smarter and, and more psychologically well-adjusted with the hopes that this could, again, usher in so, almost a, a type of utopian future mm. where we don't have to have human beings suffering uh, from pain and, and from diseases and disabilities, but also we don't suffer from our inherent biological flaws and, and for many people, they see this technology as being a pathway to grant human beings kind of a practical immortality. So there's a strong religious undercurrent underneath this idea of transhumanism, where really science and technology are the means uh, to, uh, to attain, uh, again, a type of salvation for not only individuals, but for humanity at large. Uh, and it's a, an idea that's really been Populate, populates uh, science fiction uh, for, for, for decades and decades, but it's now an idea that has literally moved into the academic uh, mainstream and is now filtering into our culture at large is really being a credible idea hmm. that I think is going to be one of the most influential ideas uh, to come in, in, in the next several decades. 
So that's that's really the distinctive that we're talking about. It's not simply these incredible advances, but it's that undercurrent of a full philosophy that says that utopia is possible, and this is how we're going to get there. Yeah, and it, and it's a really you know interesting and, and complex idea because many of the, the 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 technologies that are giving legitimacy to this idea of transhumanism for the first time really in human history are technologies that could literally be used to treat people with debilitating injuries and diseases for which we currently have no really effective treatments whatsoever. But those same technologies could be leveraged to create designer human beings or to create, again, human beings with augmented and enhanced capabilities beyond our natural limits uh, with the idea that this could even, again, be used as a a life extension uh, technology that could help us overcome you know, the greatest limitation that we face as human beings, which is our own mortality, mm. that w- where we're confronted with the fact that we all are going to, to die physically. Wow. It's absolutely fascinating. Well, give us a sketch of some of the recent steps that you'd point to that science is, is taking in that direction. I mean, just how real is this on the ground? Well, it, it, it's becoming incredibly real. And and for example, maybe some of your listeners have heard of CRISPR gene editing. This is a brand new, highly powerful uh, technique to, to literally manipulate the genetic makeup of organisms, including human beings. And, and so many people believe that this uh, technology could actually be used to treat genetic disorders where you could literally splice out defective regions of a, of a patient's genome and replace those defective regions with healthy versions and help them to either manage or maybe even cure them from a, a genetic disorder. But that same kind of technology could also be used to create genetically engineered human beings that have desired uh, you know, biological traits or even enhanced biological traits where people could become stronger, again, or more intelligent. And the, the thing that's interesting is that this tech and frightening is that this technology is so inexpensive and, and so easy to use. And it's so powerful so that it's something that that could be very easily broadly distributed beyond just simply the academic or the the, the professional elites. Uh, on the other hand, there's advances in computer brain interface technology where literally there are these devices that people are building uh, that where a, a patient can be trained to use their thoughts, to, to use their brain activity to control computer hardware and software. Uh, and, and one of the scientists that's pioneering this is Elon Musk with his Neuralink company. Uh, and, and this could revolutionize how we treat people that are locked in who can't communicate because of a brain injury or a stroke for people that are amputees. This could allow them to control robotic prosthetic limbs, giving them a new lease on life for a quadriplegic. It could give them the ability to control with their thoughts, exoskeletons that could grant them mobility. But again, that same technology could be used to create kind of these human machine hybrids, like mm-hmm. a, like almost like a cyborg type of, of, of you know human being that again has enhanced capabilities. And, and so all of this is part and parcel of this transhumanist vision for humanity's future. Wow. 
Well, pardon us as we geek out from time to time during this uh, fuzz, but you said something there that that really was a surprise to what I would have imagined when you're talking about genomic technology. You said that it's very distributable and it's very uh, relatively cost effective as well. I would have thought that it was, you know, so cost prohibitive that it was something that we perhaps wouldn't have to think about for some time, but that's not the case at all. No, and this is the thing that that is exciting and frightening at the same time. Because it's inexpensive, it means that it could matriculate into a clinical setting and really impact the, the real lives of real people that are suffering. But at the same time, it's given rise to what's called a biology DIY movement, a biology do-it-yourself movement, where there are people who are arguing that we ought to have the right to 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 gain access to this powerful technology and use it on ourselves any way that we see fit. And and one of those people that's pioneering this mindset is a biochemist by the name of Josiah Zayner, who actually has done uh, gene editing on himself, where he's introduced a particular gene uh, into his genome that enhances muscle development. And, And so, you know, this is meaning that you could very well see these companies pop up that could offer gene editing services to people, not as a way to treat a disease or a disability, but rather as a way to, uh, to, to actually augment or enhance their physical strength or their intellectual strength or their emotional well-being. So uh, I could easily see in the future countries actually supporting this type of genetic tourism where people could travel to that country and have access to all these kinds of, of services, whether the technology has really been truly vetted or not. Well, Dr. Fazel Rana with us today. He's the Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe and a groundbreaking author whose latest project is the really endlessly fascinating Humans 2.0. And you're tuned to On the Road here on Faith Radio. Ryan Thomas with you. I mean, you're painting a picture that is is so fascinating, but it sounds a little bit like a wild west of new scientific opportunities. And and I guess the question really is, where do ethics enter into the discussion, Dr. Rana? I mean, is there any kind of emerging ethical framework for scientists and, and researchers who are doing things like this? Well, you know, this to me is the, the real, you know, point of concern is that, that, that there's all kinds of obvious ethical questions that arise uh, when you start thinking about this technology and how it might be applied, you know, questions concerning, you know, the value and the dignity and the sanctity of human life, our identity as human beings, questions concerning the equitable distribution and access to this very powerful technology, and the list goes on and on. And the problem is, is that this technology is, is advancing so rapidly, and there's no time for proper ethical deliberation, let alone putting in place any kind of regulatory guidelines that could actually be genuinely enforceable. Uh, and so this is of a real concern. I've heard some bioethicists uh, lament the fact that, that, this, the, that, that transhumanism is creating ethical categories for which we never had historically been able to even engage. And so there's a call for a need for a, a new type of bioethics to help deliberate about this technology and so this is a, a real, I think, a real concern that everyone shares regardless of their worldview, 
with regard to this technology, but this is why as Christians we really need to be informed about what's happening here and and understand the role that we can play as Christians with our worldview and, and, a, and a system of Christian ethics that I think actually can powerfully speak into how this technology should be used and which instances and applications of this technology that we should probably avoid using or, or set aside or even prohibit. I want to leap into that uh, just momentarily. The thing that is continuing to surprise me since we've been talking is I even, you know, reading the book and being fascinated by this topic, so much of my brain has been thinking in terms of, okay, this is where we're heading. Where are we heading? You know, where are we going to? But what I'm really learning as I listen to you is, truth of the matter is, we're already there right now. These are the questions we need to be asking right now. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and again, part of the, the issue is how rapidly this technology is progressing. I, I, even a decade ago, the idea of transhumanism would have been a laughable idea, quite <laughs> frankly, where people would have, would have viewed it as being more science fiction than anything else. And there were people that were in the academy that were, again, advocating transhumanism, but they were considered to be kind of a fringe idea. And within the last decade, this idea has moved from the fringes to being a highly respectable idea among philosophers and technologists and scientists uh, who really see this as a a very real uh, direction that our future is heading and heading in the immediate now. And, and, uh, and, and so this idea is, is gaining traction within our culture at large as well, where people are no longer viewing this as as science fiction, but really uh, beginning to view this as, as, as something that they might even be able to benefit from, uh, you know, now in terms of life extension or improving the quality of their life. So as we begin to wade into this topic, what are the questions that we should be asking? Could you help shape that for us? I think the Christian worldview is a very powerful framework to think about things like transhumanism, because in, in the idea of the image of God is really very important, because because of the image of God, Human beings have inherent value and worth, and that means that we need to do everything we can to do to promote human flourishing, but at the same time do everything we can to protect the dignity and the sanctity of human life, to make sure that nobody is exploited as, as, as technology is being developed. Uh, and on the other hand, because of the image of God, we've been granted dominion over the creation, which is a, leads to a very strong mandate for developing science and developing technology. And so the Christian worldview would in- encourage the development of this technology, but also recognize that there are parameters or boundaries beyond which we should never uh, transcend. And, and, and so I think that worldview helps us to pose the, the types of ethical questions. Is this actually undermining the identity that we have as human beings? Are we going to m- modify human beings to such a point that we wouldn't even recognize them anymore as a human being? Uh, you know, or is this technology somehow going to exploit another human being uh, in, in order to benefit others in our society? Is the technology fair and equitable? In other words, does everybody have access to this or do only the elite have access to it? Wow. There are just so many things to think about. And as I as I grapple with your last point, the the equitable 
distribution of an opportunity that this technology could provide in certain respects. I mean, in your mind, as you think about this and as you write about this, do you see a way in which that would not be the case? Because obviously supply and demand would seem to dictate that those with the funds, those with the technology would be the first ones to access it. Is there, is there any way that you could see that that would not be the case? Uh, unfortunately, I, I can't. You know, that, this to me is one of the big concerns I have is those people that have the wealth, that have the resources are going to be the people who are first going to benefit uh, from this technology. And if you can have children who are stronger and more intelligent than, than what would be naturally the human limits, for intelligence or for physical strength, what kind of advantages are those individuals going to have? And those advantages then are going to parlay into more advantages because they're going to have even greater access to the cutting edge, whereas other people may not have ever have the opportunity to benefit from the technology, or if they can, it's going to be essentially benefiting from, from you know, from obsolete or substandard technology. And so you really very quickly could lead to a world where there are haves and have-nots, or, or you could lead to a world where there's almost a type of uh, eugenics taking place, where now the eugenics isn't targeting people with a particular ethnic background, but it would be targeting people who have certain a certain genetic makeup or who have certain uh, who have fused uh, and, and, and interfaced themselves with certain, uh, you know, computer technologies that give them an advantage. So th- there's all kinds of really uh, quite frightening scenarios that relate to really stratifying the world that we live in. I mean, this has always been an issue in, in human throughout human history, right. but you could see it being very quickly exacerbated to such a degree that it would, would be really uh, an undesirable future. Man, what a fascinating, fascinating topic today. Dr. Fazel Rana is with us. He is the Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe and a groundbreaking author whose latest project is the Endlessly Fascinating Humans 2.0. We've sort of been dancing around this question during the whole conversation, and you've you've built so much of the response already on both sides. But just to ask it to you directly and take it wherever you'd like, uh, Fuzz, but is this a brave new world of wonders or is it a Pandora's box? It can be a brave new world of wonders, but it can also be, uh, again, a, a Pandora's box. And, and this is why it's so critical, I think, for Christians at this juncture to really understand, you know, what is happening, at, you know, with this technology, with this emerging biotechnology, and how this technology is actually motivating this idea of transhumanism, uh, because we live in a world that's increasingly secular, where science and technology already are used to solve pressing problems that we face as humanity. And so it's very easy for people, I think, to embrace this transhumanist vision, where it's ultimately science and technology that's going to pave the way to our future, not uh, science and technology that's carefully balanced with, with proper ethical uh, and, and moral deliberation. And so we have an, an obligation as Christians to engage this idea, not to ignore it or to condemn it, but to engage this idea in, in, in an effective way uh, so that, that 
the best use of the technologies uh, is available to all of us. And at the same time, we avoid some of the very real pitfalls that could lead to, to frankly, a dystopian type of future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> dystopian is the word. That really is the word, isn't it? It, it, it sure is. It, it sure is. But, you know, to me, there is an element uh, of hope that I have yes. and excitement that I have, because not only could this technology really change the lives of people, but what I, what I find interesting about transhumanism is that it actually is exposing the real need that every human being has for a sense of hope, purpose, and destiny, where, where we all intuitively recognize as human beings that death is wrong, right? That, that there's something that's, in, un, that's wrong about people dying, that, that when lives are cut short because of death, that, that that is a tragedy, or to anticipate a future where human beings don't exist is somehow wrong to us, and, 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 and that we're looking for ways to overcome death, to overcome a future where there's no meaning or, pur- or hope or purpose and destiny. It's just that I think transhumanism is looking in the wrong place for salvation. Mm-hmm. But, but the themes of transhumanism and what transhumanism is trying to accomplish are, in effect, the themes of the Christian faith. And it's what the gospel offers to us as a promise, uh, that, that our lives do matter, that there is hope, purpose, and destiny, and that we can have genuine salvation— but that salvation is not found through technology, but through the person of Christ. But what a golden opportunity for us mm-hmm. as Christians to engage in meaningful spiritual conversations that are going to naturally arise and flow out of this idea of transhumanism. Man. Well, I can't help but think as I hear you describe that, and I thank you so much for saying that because uh, we wanted to unlock that hope that that drives you. I mean, in your your pursuit of knowledge, I can't help but think, you know, just the joy that the scientific mind experiences. Great scientists have talked about this uh, from time immemorial, but this just the joy of discovering uh, what God has put there in the universe for us to unlock and understand. Yes, it's a confusing time. Yes, I'm sure in many ways a confounding time, but man, this is a pretty exciting time to be a scientist, I'll imagine, sir. It, it, it is. It, it very much is an, an exciting time, but it, it also highlights, again, the, the idea that, that science and technology can never operate within a vacuum, it, that, that, that science and technology also have to be uh, carried out in a, in a worldview framework that I think uh, gives a larger sense of meaning and provides value and, and a, a set of ethics and a, and a moral framework. And when we try to divorce science from that kind of larger worldview, those larger worldview considerations, that's when I think science and technology can be easily uh, abused and misused or where there's going to be a lack of wisdom where human folly takes over uh, or human naivety takes over and we wind up in places where we don't want. And so this is why it's an exciting time but also, as a Christian, I feel it's a time of great urgency where we have no choice as Christians but to really, again, understand and recognize the, 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 the positive things that are associated with this idea, but also the areas of concern, and, and try to build bridges with our culture using transhumanism as a place of common ground. 
Well, the book, once again, is called Humans 2.0, one of the most fascinating books that I've read in a long time. Dr. Fazel Rana has been with us today. He's the Vice President of Research and Apologetics at Reasons to Believe and a groundbreaking author. Uh, sir, I imagine the book available wherever fine books are sold. It is. Yeah, you can get the book uh, you know, through Amazon, or if you, you want to go to our website, if people want to go to our website, www.reasons.org. They can also get a book uh, from us, uh, again, through uh, the Reasons to Believe website. And Reasons to Believe, you guys are doing some really amazing things. I mean, we've mentioned it uh, throughout the interview, but really you're an organization dedicated uh, to helping believers to think through some of these complex issues. Talk a little bit about what your mission is and how you go about it. Reasons to Believe, our, our, our focus is to show people that there's actually harmony in, in, in agreement between science and the Christian faith. And sadly, there's a, a narrative in our culture today that science and Christianity are incompatible. <laughs> and so we're all about showing that that's, that, that is not the case, but, but that the, the latest advances in science can be used to demonstrate the reality of God's existence and the reliability of the creation accounts, and that the Christian faith has a lot to say about how science and technology should be utilized, and we think that there's no greater time to be alive as a Christian than today because of the incredible scientific breakthroughs that are pointing to the Creator's handiwork in everything that we see. Oh man, Dr. Fazel Rana, the organization called Reasons to Believe, the book, One More Time, Humans 2.0. Sir, I can't tell you what a joy it's been to have you here. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for your insight. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate your hospitality and your kindness. Thanks for sharing in the story of this latest episode of Faith Radio's On the Road. For more on today's conversation and the full podcast archive of all our episodes, look for On the Road when you visit MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks so much for listening to On the Road. Programming like this happens because of your incredible support. You can learn more about partnering financially at MyFaithRadio.com. And we'd be so glad to connect with you during the week on social media. Just search for On the Road with Ryan Thomas on Facebook. And our Twitter handle is at OnTheRoadRyan. Until next time, God bless you, my friend.